I got to say, I think that this whole coronavirus thing, if you are people who have always wished that we had couches instead of chairs in the room, this is like your holiday time of the year, because this is amazing for you, because that's what you get. So, welcome to Element. We've given you all the announcements up front. Uh, if you are new and you don't have a Bible with you, we would love for you to hop onto this thing called Version. Uh, we just talked about it a moment ago. Uh, when you download that, it just says Bible, and you'll get a Bible app that's right there. When you open that Bible app, you go to More and then Events while you're in there. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and this morning you'll get the sermon notes, verses, you'll get some of those announcements. Really, everything that goes along that we talk about today. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you would like to, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And this is Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. It's kind of long, but just go with me. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, we ask that you would take us and you would open up your words to us. That we would see the things you are trying to say. That you would grow us in the people who we are meant to be. Especially in the midst of sheltering at home and not being able to connect in ways that we used to. We would be a people that would understand your great love for us exactly where we are. And that you would continue to do your work in us as this thing hopefully one day comes to an end and we can step out and speak the good news of your gospel wherever we find ourselves. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is week 13 of Acts part 2. Acts part 2 is doing chapter 13 all the way through the end of the book. And in these chapters, we follow a guy named Paul going in what he calls his missionary journeys to spread the good news of the gospel throughout the known world. Uh, Paul, after becoming a follower of Jesus, wants to take this message of his own life change out to everybody else. But he does it in a way where he wants it to be understandable. He wants to understand the cultures are around him so he can speak the gospel in a way that's understandable to them. And it's not that the gospel ever changes, but the gospel does fit into cultural containers so it is understandable about God's rescue and God's restoration of all of us. Acts shows that in every day, in every age, the church runs into places where there is persecution, where there is praise, but through all of it, it needs gospel strengthening. And gospel strengthening is by remembering what Jesus did to rescue and save us. We constantly come back to the understanding of his life, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, It's not traditions, it's not customs, it's not good works. It's the message of his great rescue of us that goes forward because the mission doesn't stop. And out of joy, the church then multiplies. And the same thing should be true today, that the church multiplies because of the joy that God brings. Now today, we're going to do something a little bit different than we have in Acts, because Luke does something different in these verses. I'm going to read through those verses I had you stand for in the beginning, but I'm going to go through it and have you see this map that's coming up right here. And we're going to follow the map, and I'll show you what this looks like. Again, Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to 
Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Somathrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. Now, there's more verses that we're going to get to to end with that, but this is a starting point of where Luke goes in to talk about this journey of what Paul is heading into, what we will call Paul's second missionary journey. This one starts out on land and not by sea. The first one went by sea. And today as we walk through the scriptures, if you are somebody who loves maps, like you like a paper map, and you open it up, and you know which end is up and which end is down. For you, you'd say north and south. I get it. But you just intuitively know how a map is supposed to work. You think if someone opens their phone and asks Google how to get somewhere, they have a lower IQ than a monkey. Well, this is your holiday Sunday, because this is going to be all about maps. Hopefully, you're going to really enjoy what we go through. If you are someone who is not a map person, and someone, and you're riding a car with someone who is a map person, you feel like they're always yelling at you. Well, this isn't going to be your funnest Sunday, but I will do my best to make it entertaining enough that you, we can walk through this together and understand where this is going. Because uh, one of the things that Luke does here is he starts to deal with places in this map of where Paul is going what Paul is not doing. Map people will tell non-map people that the beauty of a map is not just about the directions. A map will tell you a story, where people lived, where battles were fought, the changes in terrain, the agriculture, the people, the culture that's there. This map of Paul's second missionary journey is important because when you read the words in Acts 16, it kind of sounds like a phone book. There's all these places and we just start to glaze over. Paul went here to here to here to here and eventually, oh great, it all worked out. So wonderful. But you miss the uniqueness of what's taking place here because Acts is typically very action-packed. It's people going places by miraculous means and there's visions and there's healings and earthquakes and death and life and angels and jailbreaks. And when you get to Acts 16, verses 6 through 16, it's a passage that's kind of centered around where they don't go and all the things that they don't actually do. There is more wandering and meandering in these few verses than the entire rest of the book. And I think Luke is being very intentional about it, about how they go out and trust Jesus in the normal mundane areas, the places and times where we don't have all the answers. And this is what it means to walk in faith, of trust of who God is, step by step by step. And I think Luke is showing you this dramatic change that has taken place in the Apostle Paul from where he started in his life to where he ends up. Like when you first meet Paul, Saul, his name is Saul when you first meet him, it's in Acts chapter 7. And he isn't a great guy. He is actually overseeing the killing of the first Christian martyr in the church. Really nice guy named Stephen. Paul will even then go to the high priest in Jerusalem and convince that high priest to give him permission to not just arrest people in Jerusalem where Stephen was killed and the church started, but to go out to places like Damascus and shut this Christianity thing down. When you meet Paul, Paul, he is angry, he is threatened, he is fearful that his God and his religion is going to somehow come to less than it's supposed to be because of the spread of this thing called Christianity. 
But in Acts 16, Paul is a totally different person. He has shifted from someone who is self-centered or self-referenced in the relationship with God, meaning he wanted God on his own terms, to someone who is Christ-referenced or Christ-centered. And let me just explain what that means. A self-referenced or a self-centered follower of God defines God by themselves. And what they like, well, that's what God likes. You make God look just like you. And so God's politics are your politics, or your politics are God's politics. And God's perfect income level for you is whatever you think your income level is supposed to be. God approves the number of kids you have, the TV shows that you watch, the type of beverages you consume. Uh, God is like you, and you're like him. You're like two little peas in a pod because you made God in your image. A Christ-referenced or a Christ-centered person is someone who ceases to place God in a box of our own making, and we start to follow him wherever he leads, and we worship him as he has revealed himself to be. We become more like him instead of making him more like us. Robert Mulholland wrote this. He says, In a very real sense, the crux of our journey from a religious false self, that's someone who is self-centered and self-referenced, to our true self is an ever-deepening abandonment to the construct we call God and an ever-more-found willingness for God to be whatever God will be at any given time. Meaning, God is who He is and we follow Him in those moments. Paul says in Colossians 3.3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When we move from a God who is made in our image, our own image, to God showing us who he is and what he's calling us into to be his image bearers, that's how we begin to live in faithful trust of what he is calling us into. Now, these are stolen from Mulholland, but I'm going to talk about these today as we look at Paul's journey. There are four characteristics that look at people who are self-referenced or self-centered in their following of Jesus. The first one is this. They are fearful. They are fearful. It means we become easily threatened, like someone's going to take God away from us. This has happened in the midst of the COVID-19 outbreak. Oh, we're in homes. We're not allowed to meet together in churches. Well, what are we going to do? God's still God. And God's still moving. We don't have to be fearful because he is in control. But when we get fearful, the second thing that moves into is we become possessive. We start to try and hold on to certain beliefs, not because they're true, but because they make us feel better and they reinforce our fears. Third thing that happens after being possessive, we start to become controlling. We manipulate people and activities to go a certain way so everyone starts to agree with us. And then the fourth thing that happens out of this is we become divisive. We draw lines in the sand and we say, unless your understanding of God is exactly like my understanding of God, like you look like what I like and what I want, well, you're not worthy to be in a relationship with me. We become divisive. And this is really where you first find Paul in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 9. He is fearful. He's possessive of his God. He's controlling. He's charting his own course. And he is becoming divisive by going into people's homes and taking them out of their homes and arresting them, trying to shut this Christianity thing down. On the road to Damascus, here's, here's this map again. Okay? Paul starts in Jerusalem. Right. He is going to this place, and he is going to shut this Christianity thing down. What you see is where Paul will move in these verses. He will go from becoming fearful to trusting, to becoming possessive to receptive. He'll go from controlling to expectant, and from divisive to expansive. And he will start to build up this church rather than tear it down. So again, in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 9, Paul starts in Jerusalem. He goes out, I'm going to shut this Christianity thing down, and he's on this road to Damascus, and on the road, Jesus shows up. 
knocks him on his rear end, and Paul is literally blinded by the light. He knocked on his rear end. And Paul thinks he has God all figured out, very controlling in how he sees him. And then he has an encounter with the living God and realizes, I was wrong. And the wrong, he thought, was he needed to possess this God and he needed to protect this God and draw lines around this God. But God is bigger than Paul could ever dream. And God doesn't need us to protect him. God wants us to be people who image him. That's what he calls us into. Paul was so sure that Jesus wasn't God. And then Jesus shows up and Paul has to repent and turn from his false assumptions. And then he turns and says, yes, you are our Lord God Almighty and I will follow you. And you can't judge Paul too harshly in this. Uh, Scott McKnight wrote a book called The Blue Parakeet. And in this book, he talks about how he has his students every year in his Jesus class go through this little exam. And so the first part is a personality test about what the students like and what they don't like and what they think and what they do. Then the second test is about Jesus and what they think Jesus is like. And the, the questions are tweaked a little bit. But this is what he writes after these two tests. Every year, he says, the amazing result is that everyone thinks that Jesus is like them. The test results also suggest that where we like to suggest that we are becoming more like Jesus, the reverse is probably more the case. Meaning we are constantly making Jesus to look more like us. And we do this. We project ourselves onto him. We project ourselves onto the world around us. But you see the change that takes place in Paul on the road to Damascus when he encounters the real and living God. is His view becomes expanded that God is so much bigger than he is. And then when you get to Acts 16, that second part of the missionary journey, you will see Paul then go from fearful to trusting that God is in control and he can trust him. So here's here's the map again. Paul is this guy. So he starts, and this is what happens in his second missionary journey. He starts in Antioch. He will go to Tarsus. He will go to Derbe. He will go to Lystra. He will go to Iconium. He will go to Antioch and Poseidia. He will go over and up to Phrygia and Galatia. And we read this, and it sounds like Paul just has this great plan. Like, oh, there's all this stuff that's going on. Oh, this is amazing. He's going to all these places. But really, in the text, it's like Paul was just kind of bumbling around. He's just going to all of these places. And he thinks the next logical step for him is to go up into Asia. Paul has built this this large church base. And he thinks, yeah, the the next place I'm going to go, it's going to be right up there. It seems like the expansion should be into Asia. But you read these words. Paul had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so the question becomes is, how did he know? How did he hear the Holy Spirit say not go into Asia? How does he know the Spirit said no? Because we all want to know how to listen to God better in the midst of this. And the answer is, we don't really know. We don't really know. What we can see is that so far in Acts, when something miraculous happens, Luke will automatically point that out. He reports it right away. Like, if there's a vision or Jesus shows up or an angel shows up, boom, it's like right there. But the reality is in our lives, God doesn't typically work that way with us. God wants his kids to be led and listen to him, not through the miraculous, but through the everyday, through the leading of his spirit. Like, I don't know if you ever had some great plan in your mind, all the stuff that you were going to do, all things pointing into a certain direction, and it fizzled out and never gained any traction. Uh, We had these great ideas for what we're going to do for Monday, Thursday service and Easter services on Sunday morning, and then COVID-19 hits. We're like, okay, we don't know what we're going to do now. Sometimes we try to convince God how important our plans are, and yet God just leads us somewhere different. 
And when I think about this, I always think about our planting roots journey. When we did our planting roots journey at Element, it was years ago, and we decided that God was calling us to have a permanent home in the Santa Maria Valley. We approached our church family, and we talked about it with you guys over the course of a few months, and then you decided over and above normal giving to give to this thing called planting roots so we could buy a permanent facility or build a facility in Santa Maria. Uh, In our vernacular, we walked through all these things, but we were really heading towards Asia. Because God's spirit said, no, you're not going to do the thing you thought we were going to do. You're going to do this other thing. We bought a piece of land. We did a master plan with the city. We paid an architect, a civil engineer. And a year and a half in, we ended up moving to this completely other piece of property on Clark and Bethany with some buildings that were like 50 years old on it. It wasn't even on our radar when we started. But the amazing thing is, if we didn't do planting roots, we would have never been in the position to take the steps we did to buy the place that we are in today. Because God was and God is doing something. We were listening as best we were able to. And he brought about what he wanted to through all of it. And there were some questions that were asked in redirecting planting roots to over here. Some people, yes, responded in fear, but not a lot. And we all got to the place where we trusted what God was actually doing. And that's what Paul does. Paul goes from fearful and clinging to trusting what God is going to do. You don't get to go into Asia. And that's kind of cool because Paul is now not afraid that if his plan A doesn't turn out, it's all going to fall apart. Because wherever Paul ends up, he now realizes that it's God's plan A, even if it's Paul's plan Z. Because it was no longer God on Paul's terms, it was God on God's terms. And when we try to convince God of our plan, we're not really trusting him. And I'm not saying don't have a plan. Plans are good. You, You should have plans. Plans are great. They just always need to be subject to God's plans. And so Paul moves from fearful to trusting, even without a destination. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where uh, you're in a, and the, like a door shuts, and where do I go now, God? What do I do? What's the next step? Well, that's where Paul ends up. Because in Paul's case, it really is a not yet. Eventually, Paul does get to go to Asia. It's just years later. But all he knows at this point is that the answer is a no. So here's the map again. Paul starts wandering and walking, and Paul ends up by Bithynia, very close to Asia, but it's not Asia. In verse 7 it says, When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So it's like, this way, this way, this way, where are we going? So passing by Mysia, we went down to Troas. And you will see Paul now start to move from being possessive to being receptive. Because this journey is like months long. It's not, it's not like you hop in a car and just drive somewhere. They're walking and it's just time and time and time. And he gets to the border of that Bithynia. And Luke will use a phrase he will use nowhere else in the book of Acts. He will say, and the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And that's really important because what Luke is saying in hindsight that Jesus was and is doing something. They just didn't know it yet. They didn't see it. Paul leaves this place and goes by Mysia, ends up in Troas. Troas is essentially the end of the road. If you walk 10 feet outside of Troas, you would walk in the water. If you kept going, you would drown in the water. There's nowhere else to go. He walks to the end of the road, but Luke says the spirit of Jesus. He was reinforcing that Jesus was with them. He is walking with them, even in their unsure meandering. How often do we come along and question God's leading in places where we don't know the beginning to the end of? When will this COVID-19 outbreak end? When do we get to come out of our homes again? We, we don't know, but we know that God is doing something. It's a reminder that in those places, Jesus is always with us. 
Paul had his eyes on going to Asia, yet he doesn't get to do anything. But he doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. He keeps trusting Jesus in the midst of all of it. He doesn't know where he's going or why, but he knows Jesus is in it. That's going from being possessive to being receptive. And Paul's journey doesn't really make any sense. Because really, this is the idea. He's, got to go, he's going all the way up and all the way over. I know on the map, it's got that straight little line that keeps going place to place. But really, what it's talking like is he's up and over and really all over the place, not really knowing where he's going. And when we don't know where we're going, we have a tendency to, uh, to get really possessive of what we're doing. We hold on to anything that remotely begins to make sense. We'll read books that have horrible theology in them if it makes us feel better. We grasp for relationships. We shouldn't. We get closed-handed. We stop listening. We stop being, becoming receptive to God because we start to fear, well, if it's not my plan, it's got to be meaningless. And Acts is reminding us that just because something doesn't make sense does not mean it's meaningless. And so Paul, instead, from being possessive, he becomes receptive to following and trusting God no matter where God leads. In verse 9 and 10, the language shifts a bit, and it says this, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. And so here what you begin to see as the language begins to shift is Luke starts using this word, we. God's we are going here. If you look before, it says things like they had gone to Mysia. But here uh, Luke says we sought to go into Macedonia. God has preached, called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the understanding that right here, many scholars believe this is where Paul met Luke. And Luke becomes a believer and becomes part of this journey. At this point, Luke could have just been a dude, not a superstar. No one knows how important Luke's going to become. And it might even look like God had Paul wander in all these places and do all these things just to meet up with this guy named Luke. And the reality is, yes, God is sovereign, but we are having the conversations today that we are because of the wandering that Jesus led Paul to to lead him to Luke. Again, just because something doesn't make sense doesn't mean it's meaningless. We wouldn't even know most of the things we need to about the wandering of God and what he's having us do without understanding some of these verses. Paul goes from possessive to receptive, meaning we can wander and we can still trust God in the midst of it. And this could be your season of life right now, exactly where you are. Maybe the COVID-19 outbreak hits and maybe you're going to lose your job or you ran out of toilet paper or something. I, I don't know. It's important to take a step back and understand that Jesus is walking with you even now in the midst of what we're going through. And there are things in the midst of it that we will not understand. And we have to ask ourselves, are there things that we're clinging to? That if we just let go and leave it in God's hands, that he would bring us something greater than we could ever know we ever needed. So Paul's in Troas, and he has a vision about a man urging him to come to Macedonia. Verse 10, and when Paul had uh, seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. And this becomes a difference between being controlling and being expectant. Because now Paul is like, sure, wherever you want me to go, God, that's where I'm going to go at once. They had never been to Macedonia. If Asia is a big deal, Macedonia is a big deal because Macedonia is huge. It's a huge area. And so it's like, great, let's go there. I mean, Paul is just ready to jump on and go. And it's interesting, he says, come to Macedonia. Macedonia, it's huge. It's, it's like if I said to you, hey, let's have lunch in L.A. And you said, where? I'd be like, just meet me in L.A. Well, that doesn't really help. If I said, hey, we're going to have dinner in Arizona. And you're like, okay, where? And I'm like, just meet me in Arizona. You're like, 
okay, this is what it's like. Let's just go there. He's, you know, far from Paul trying to chart his own course now, he's trusting where God calls him to go, and he just goes. He goes where God says. He waits for God to direct him. And sometimes you'll see this in the scriptures and our lives, where God subtly shifts some things to move us where he wants us to go, and sometimes he does great, big, dramatic things. And you see both of those in Acts 16. He's suddenly leading Paul as Paul meanders through these places. Then all of a sudden he's like, boom, great big bold, go to Macedonia. You see these things. When we are self-referenced, we want everything to always go our way. We tend to manipulate. When we are Christ-centered and Christ-referenced, we become expectant. And we're ready to listen to what God is calling us into. And what happens when they get to Macedonia? Well, he starts to wander again. He goes there expectant, you know, but God is still teaching him. It's funny, it's awesome, it's amazing. Here's the map again, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Somathrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. So Paul gets this vision, right? And so he goes to this large area, but doesn't seem to know where to go. So he keeps moving again. And he ends up in this place called Philippi. He stays in the city some days. What that means is probably not a lot is happening. And then he decides to go outside of the city on the Sabbath to pray, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate. So the city seemed like the right place. It wasn't so. Now let's go outside the city. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was, named, was a woman named Lydia from the town, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, I know you probably missed it there, but there is this big thing of where Paul has now actually gone from being divisive to being expansive. How? Well, they go to Macedonia because God sends them. They're looking for what God wants them to do in this place and area. While there, they go outside the city to a place of prayer. That means they're expecting to find ten men. Because ten men gathering together, that's what you need to have a place of prayer for a synagogue. But instead, they end up meeting a group of women and sharing the gospel with them, and these women believe the gospel. And that's huge, because what they most likely thought they said yes to, here's a man, come to Macedonia, they get there, and what do they find? A bunch of women. And it's awesome, and it's great, and they're by the river, and they listen to the gospel. I told you before that Luke is paralleling a lot of things in Paul's missionary journeys and his life to what Peter went through. Peter ends up in a Gentile's home named Cornelius, giving the gospel, and the Holy Spirit comes on this house and these people in this place, and they believe, and it is simply amazing. But Peter is like, wow, Gentiles can be saved. Paul, on the other hand, had no problem with Gentiles being saved. But he moves to a place now where he's speaking to Gentile women by a river. He's assuming it should be a place of men. God is moving in Paul to not be divisive, to be expansive in his view. Paul starts in Jerusalem in Acts 9 as an Orthodox Pharisee killing Christians. 
and he ends up here in Acts 16 talking to Greek Gentile women in public. And I know you don't get it, but it's hilarious because God has a sense of humor. Uh, this whole thing of talking to women in public was found upon in Greek and Jewish culture. Paul started throwing people in jail for not believing like him, and now he is embracing what God is doing with the gospel in all places. And what this does is it wakes Paul up to another step of going from being divisive to expansive of his outlook of grace and salvation. And here's the key verses here. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It is God who opens her heart. It is God that calls her and God is doing the saving work while he's also growing Paul at the exact same time. I don't know if you've ever had God open up your heart to what he is doing in various places, things you never expected. Maybe you're, you've been in a position where God is calling you to have a conversation with somebody, but you're very fearful because either you and this person don't get along or maybe they don't see God the same way or they, or they hate God. The passage reminds us that God wants to open our hearts as much as he wants to open other people's hearts so we would understand his call to be willing to speak to others in a way that is understandable to them where we understand that they have a life, they have gone through certain things, and we can speak the truth and the beauty of the gospel to them exactly where they are about God's restorative hope. We can also be a people that go from fearful to trusting, from being possessive to receptive, from controlling to expectant, from divisive to expansive. I've told you about my dad before. Uh, Sometimes I worry about deep conversations with my dad because my dad doesn't really like Christians or Christianity or anything like that, and we are so different. And yet whenever I do enter into a conversation, it typically goes better than I thought. And I think one of those things is, is I'm not being dismissive or divisive. What I want to be is joyful in my sharing of God's great love for him and others. And you will now see how this plays out in the rest of the book of Acts, all of Paul's changes today. But I want you to understand how God wants to change us as well. Because we can move to be a people who are trusting and receptive and expected and expansive, but we only do that by understanding how we ourselves have been saved. The good news of the gospel, what God did in Christ to rescue and change us. And then when we understand that, God sends us out to begin to live on mission. Even when we're unsure about why we're somewhere or what's happening with the pandemic and our culture, we can still be a people who speak of the grace and the good news of who God is because our God knows exactly what is happening and we can trust him. And we can be a people who no longer need to be divisive, but we can say our God is calling you in to come home, to follow and love and serve and honor him. We get to be the people of God, and it's amazing. It is our God who changes us and our God who rescues us because he is good. But it all comes back to the understanding of the good news of the gospel of God's rescue of us. Now, typically at Element on Sundays, I take you to the place of communion right here. And this is where we are reminded of what Christ did to rescue and save us. If you would like, you can do that at home. Uh, Communion is is a symbol. It's a reminder to take us back to what Christ has done. And if you would like, you can grab some bread or a cracker, some juice, and you can do that in remembrance of who he is. You are more than welcome to do that. But we do that remembering who he is and his great rescue of us. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to do a couple songs. And as we do these songs... Come to a place where you start to reflect upon where God is calling you to move out of places of being fearful, to places that we start to trust him, that we'd be expectant to what he is doing in our lives, that we'd walk towards Jesus and trust him with our open hands because he is the one who rescues and saves us.
Now, uh, normally we'd also invite you for prayer, but you can also do that online. Uh, there, there is, you can send a, a prayer request to connect at ourelement.org. If you go to our Facebook page, you can post something up there. If you're on YouTube, on your computer, I watch mine on a big screen in my house, so I get the sub for all the music. But if you're watching on a computer, you can actually type comments on the side. Uh, we have someone watching those comments, and if you have a prayer request, you can put it there. Other people would see that and probably pray for you right then as well. But we'd love to be able to pray with you no matter where you are. If you feel like you're, you're stuck in a home and you are living kind of fearfully right now, let us know. We'll reach out to you this week and, and try and connect with you in some way. Um, you know, we, we give at Element because giving is part of our worship. We never pass a plate and we can't do it now <laughs> because you're just watching. But if you would like, you can. You can give. Uh, you can give online. Uh, you can mail in a check if you want, 4890 Bethany Lane, Santa Maria, California, 93455. Uh, Element still gives, as I said, to all the church planners we support and all the things around the city that, that we still support. So we haven't stopped giving out of what you guys have given to us. So you are more than welcome to do that. And I know that you know there's no snacks and stuff outside here today, but we encourage and invite you to maybe you know, sit down with one another today and, and take the sermon notes that you'd get if you get the version thing, or you can download them off the website and start asking some of those questions that are in there about going from fearful to being trusting, about being expectant of what God is going to do where we don't have to feel like we're trying to control everything, that we can trust Him for where, where He's led us into to be a people with His vision of the world that is around us and not our own. A vision that sees the world as he sees it, even in the midst of something like this COVID-19 outbreak. That we can be a people who trust him and love him no matter where we are because he is good. Let's learn to live out and be the people of God because we understand the good news of God's great rescue of us. That the Lord, our God, he is ever faithful and true and good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take and teach us what it means to be a people who are fully enamored by who you are. That we would cease being self-centered in our worship of you, in our following of you. But yet we'd be a people who become Christ-referenced and Christ-centered. That we have you be who you are and who you always have been to us. That our myopic, tiny little vision of our lives would not be what encompasses everything and how we see the world, but your great expansive vision would be what we begin to see. That we would see that we are people who move and go where you call and lead us. That you are a God who is faithful to us as a people. And that we would come out of the places where we are hiding and where we are fearful and step into the great grace and life that you have given to us. Because you are good. Teach us to walk with you in the midst of this pandemic. But much more so even after it's done. As we step back out into this world and we show who you are by being Christ-referenced people, fully in love with who you are because you have first loved us. Have us be your people. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.